And so, you're going to experience, you, whether you realize it or not, you've already experienced some Pentecost just in Pentecostal worship. But this, celebra- this is celebrated, Pentecost Sunday is celebrated the seventh Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, what, is, what we know as Easter. The day for us in the New Testament church commemorates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, just as it was stated in the book of Acts and especially, specifically, Acts chapter 2, but throughout the book of Acts. It's so significant because this event is really known as the birth of the New Testament church as we know it. And Jesus had his disciples wait in Jerusalem for his resurrection, specifically for this very promise of the Spirit. But this day of Pentecost, it started way back beyond even the book of Acts and the New Testament. The day of Pentecost, instead of in the, in the Old Testament, instead of just commemorating the outpouring of the Spirit... It began in the Old Testament, what is known as the Feast of Pentecost, or other other terminologies are the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Feast of Weeks. And this originally came the day after seven full weeks following the harvest of grain. Now, uh, this was a time of remembering God's provision the receiving of his words at Mount Sinai, and then there would be a blood sacrifice. Well, Pentecost in the New Testament became all these things, but in a different way. God provided a way when there was no way. Blood was then shed on Calvary. And then one prophet said this, Jeremiah 31, 33 says, but that this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. Say with me, inward parts. Little audience participation this morning. He says, and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. So long before uh, the book of Acts, long before the outpouring of the Spirit, God sends a word through an Old Testament prophet that says, hey, one day is coming. You're following the law of Moses right now. But a day is coming where I'm going to write my law on their inward parts. God always starts with the inward parts. Just in case you missed that, that's pretty key. God always starts with the inward parts. And that is what uh, Pentecost celebrates today too. God starts in the inward place and works his way out. And notice the prophetic word talks about covenant. And we're going to look at that this morning before we leave. And I'm going to preach this title, From the Inside Out. From the Inside Out. Lord, thank you so much for what we already feel here today, Lord Jesus. We've already experienced you and we feel your presence and power here. Lord, please speak through me, Lord Jesus, and let our hearts and minds be open, Lord, so that we can experience Pentecost once again in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see, God always had a plan, and his plan always included in New Testament Pentecost. We see this when we read through both the Old and the New Testaments. Look back to the book of Exodus. It was in the 23rd chapter of Exodus that the festival of Pentecost, or the Feast of Pentecost, starts. But what happens exactly two chapters after that? The Feast of Pentecost starts in Exodus. Two chapters after the initiation of the Feast of Pentecost, we read this. God speaks to Moses, and he says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. 
Two chapters after Pentecost, Pentecost is followed by him dwelling among his people. God always wanted to dwell among his people. Adam and Eve, they messed that up a little bit. He, he communed with them in the garden in the cool of the day. But then sin always separates what God wants to do in our lives. So really, the rest of the Bible, after we read the Genesis account of Adam and Eve, the whole rest of the Bible is an account of God's pursuit of restoring his relationship with humankind. The whole rest of the Bible. He gives them, and so uh, he delivers his people. You, you look at this, and he tries to bridge the gap to restore what sin separates. And so when, when God's people end up in Egypt, and they're there for 430 years, God eventually delivers his people from the bondage of Egypt. And he gives them a law, and he gives them instructions about festivals, feasts, and sacrifices. And we read things like that, and we're like, what's the deal? Why is this even in the Bible? There's all these worthless details, but they're not worthless. They point to something that was his ultimate plan for the New Testament, really his ultimate plan for all of humankind, but sin separated us, and then it is a, re a restoration, a redemption, a reconciliation that he's pursuing at that point. And so he gives them 613 different commands that we don't really follow too much. There's still moral obligations that he lays out. He says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are moral obligations that have been around from the beginning of time. But as far as kill the animal, make it the, the seventh day of the goats or the lambs, like we don't follow that. Why? Because First Peter tells us that Jesus became the lamb. He took away the sin of the world. And so, well, why would he give them 613 commands? Well, because they've been in bondage for 430 years. They didn't have any idea how to be a people. Imagine that. Imagine you get freed from slavery. You walk out of bondage in Egypt, and, and you're just like, okay, what do we wear? What do we eat? How do we live? How do, what are the laws of our land? How do we govern who has what? How do we deal with crime? How do we do these things? And so God gives 613 commands that are going to help govern their everyday life. And so he starts by giving the law in Exodus 19. You see, so many people today want God's provision in his spirit. They want to hear his voice, but they don't want the law, principles, commands, and the obedience. Before God ever promises his spirit to dwell among them, he first establishes the parameter of his covenant because God is and always has been a God of covenant who demands obedience. This is why when he gives Moses the instruction for his new tabernacle to be built, God says, hey, it needs to be done according to the pattern that I show you. Read Exodus 25, 9. He says, make a tabernacle. I'm going to dwell among you. But then he says, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments, even so you shall make it. So look at this next slide. He says, okay, check out this pattern. This is my pattern. And, and, and this is, a, is a, an artist rendition of, of what we find in the next several chapters of Exodus. He says, this is the way I want it. There's one entrance. There's going to be a brazen laver where the animal's killed. A bra I'm sorry, an altar sacrifice where the animal's killed. A brazen laver where the washing and cleansing takes place. 
And then you go into a holy place, and there are three pieces of furniture that have other representations. Then there's going to be a, a, a veil, and behind that veil is an ark of the covenant, and it's between the wings of the cherubims of that ark that I'm going to dwell with my people. The fullness of God is going to dwell in that place. And so he says, this is the pattern that I want to show you. And imagine being in the Middle Eastern desert and killing an animal and putting it on the, on the altar. Imagine how that must have smelled just within a few hours. But then you'd move your way closer to where the Spirit of God was dwelling in that most holy place, the holiest of holies. And you would enter into that first part of that tent there. And it was filled with an altar of incense, a sweet aroma that would go up before the Lord. There's a message right there even that sometimes as we start to come to God, things stink just a little bit. But as you get closer and closer to the spirit and presence of God, there's just a start to be a sweet smelling savor as things start to change in our lives. And so right up front, God establishes that his plan is for their salvation. He says, I want to dwell among you. This is the way you're going to be saved. This is the way you're going to take care of sins. There's going to be an atonement lamb. And he begins to lay all these things out. His desire was, I want to be present in the center of all my people. When you study this out, this tabernacle was in the middle of all of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they pitched their tents toward that tabernacle. What does that say? Their whole entire lives were, were, were gathered in, around dwelling around the presence of God Almighty. And it had to be done according to his parameters and not ours. If the people were going to have a life-giving relationship with God, it was absolutely vital that they had to learn how utterly different he was from the pagan gods of the land of Egypt where they had just spent 430 years. So God tells them, I want a holy sanctuary built exactly how I want. The purpose of this command from God was simply so I can, he says, I can permanently dwell among them and they would be my people. Because remember, if God asks something of us, it is because he is desiring to be close to us. God never asks for anything and says, I just do it because I want to, I just feel bored today. I just want to, I just want to put you through punishment or trials or see if you can stand around through discouragement. Everything, if he asks for something, it's because he's doing, he's saying, this is going to pull you closer, me and you closer in a more intimate relationship. Because he always said, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. Because notice, if they wanted God to dwell among them, if they wanted his presence near, God began to call them to some personal sacrifices, to give up some things, to be willing to do some things. Listen, if we want God's presence near, people say, oh, yeah, you know, it's God. You can't earn anything. You cannot. But when he calls for obedience in something, we find favor from God when we align our lives in obedience. And so if we want God's presence near, but you're not interested in any personal preparation, you're not open to sacrifice. See, back then it was animal sacrifice. It's not the same, but he still calls for a living sacrifice, the New Testament says. So if we want him to be near to his presence, but we're not interested in the sacrifice, we're going to find that we can't be as close to him as we want. 
His way has always called for commitment, obedience, sacrifice, personal response, and preparation. So God says, build this tabernacle according to my plan. That's another thing to remember. God always has a plan. He always, since the beginning of time, he has always, we don't believe in predestination. He did not flip a coin about whether or not you're going to heaven or hell, but he had a plan that there was going to be a church. What, what is our choice is whether or not you're going to be a part of that church. And so he had a plan. You look through the, he says, you know what, Adam and Eve, that's not going to work. Here's my plan. Cain and Abel. No, hey, Cain, why are you mad? If you do well, will that not be accepted? Here's what I'm calling for. Noah, I want you to build this boat. I want you to make it this long, this wide, this high. Put the window here, this many stories. We're sitting here going, what's the deal, man? Just make a boat and make sure it floats. That's all that is. What, why, why do we care about all this stuff? Sometimes I read in Bible study and people are going, okay, go for wood. Put the window here. Why are we reading this passage of Scripture? Why? Because I want you to understand that through all of the Bible, God, when he said, I'm going to save my people, it might be saved through the boat, saved through circumcision, saved through animal sacrifice and a tabernacle. Anytime God says, here's my plan for salvation, my plan for how you're going to be saved, it was not just believe in some higher being as long as we have faith. And you know, that, that's all that matters. That was never the plan. His plan always included details of here's what I want. We might say, well, I just don't see the necessity of that. It doesn't matter whether we see it or not. If he says, Noah, I want you to use gopher wood. I don't go down and say, I bought cedar from My mic is cutting in and out. I don't know what's going on. Uh, uh, cedar from Home Depot because it's on sale or something. No, we say, I'm going to follow the plan that God has laid out for me. Why? Because I want me and my family to be saved. So when you flip to the New Testament to think that God had a plan for Abraham, Noah, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, and all these people, and then we go to the New Testament, we get to the 21st century, and God just says, you know what, I'm kind of tired. Just do whatever you think is right. No, 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 no. He has a very distinct plan for today, just as he always had through Scripture. And so God begins to reveal that plan and how to prepare the tabernacle in Exodus 25.10. He says, make an ark of shittim wood. He says, two cubits and a half shall be the length and a cubit and a half the breadth. And he starts, he says, overlay it with gold and, and, and put four rings on it and, and then put carrying poles in it. The carrying poles were there so that no one would touch the representation of God's holiness. Later, death actually takes place when someone, without thinking, touches the ark of the covenant. And thou shalt make, he, he just continues to go on. And he says, put gold here. Use this type of wood. Make it this wide, this high. Again, if this is going to be where I dwell, then I have expectations. I get a voice in my own dwelling place. Just in case you missed that, he says, if that's going to be the place that I'm going to dwell forever, if that's going to be the temple of the Holy Ghost, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, then I want you to follow because I get a voice in how I want that to look. The word is translated ark, but really here it means box. The Ark of the Covenant was really just Israel's covenant box. Isn't it interesting that the most important piece of furniture in Israel's history focuses on covenant? 
It is not called the ark of the spirit. It's not called the ark of power. It's not called the ark of provision. It's called the ark of covenant. That's because if we will align ourselves in obedience with the covenant God establishes for us, there will always be a moving of the spirit, power, and provision. Because he has emphasized from the beginning of time even until today. That's why I want to say, what's the difference between you and other churches? I'm not going to bash other churches because I don't know everything that every church teaches. But what I say about this church is we align with covenant. Meaning that I follow what scripture says. If scripture calls for it, that's his plan. It's not my job or thought or theory to say, you know, not in the 21st. You know, I don't think that's really necessary. I think we could probably change it here. I don't think that's really necessary needed. If he says, uh, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to baptize someone in the name of Jesus Christ, just like scripture says. And so God, and this is also why God tells him, hey, put the tables of stone. I gave you the law on tables of stone. Put the tables of stone when you read scripture. He says, put this tables of stone in the compartment underneath the Ark of the Covenant, underneath that box. Put the tables of stone in there. Their presence there was, it outlined the truth that God reveals himself in the context of mutually binding commitment between himself and people. And again, I always point back to the class I took on ancient Near East literature. All the ancient, all the ancient cities and, and countries, all the ancient nations, they had gods. But I wrote, I wrote a really long paper on the difference between Israel's ancient God and the gods of the other ancient nations. If you want, just send me your email and I'll go ahead and email it, email it to you. I think I got an A, so I think I can share it. I wouldn't share you something I got an F on. But what, what, what was going on here is he says it's a mutual binding. Well, that's one of the biggest things that makes the God of Israel different than all the other gods. It's because all the other gods, they'd fight and argue, and, and, then they would, and then they would, the people were a nuisance to them. Our God has always desired an intimate, deep personal relationship. And here the God of the whole entire universe is willing in some ways to humble himself and pursue a relationship with his creation. That's amazing. And so he says, put the law in there. We might not have law today as it was in the Old Testament, but there still is mutually binding commitment between God and his people. Salvation is always, 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 from the very book of Genesis all the way to where we are today, it is always associated with covenant. Always. Exodus 25, 20, he says, the cherubims will stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces shall look one toward another toward the mercy seat. If you, that, that's a message too. You want to grow closer to God? Don't focus on one another. Focus on the blood. 
And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I give you. Testimony, it refers to covenant. And he says in verse 22, And there, in that place, I will meet with you and commune with you from above the mercy seat, between the wings of the cherubims, upon the ark of the testimony, of, of all the things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. This piece of furniture was the place where God's presence would literally manifest itself and dwell among among his people. It's there that he would speak directly to his people. If they wanted direction from God, they needed to align themselves in obedience and get into the presence of God. If you're here today and you're saying, I want direction from God, the same pattern still stands for you. Align yourself in obedience and get into the presence of God. You see, that was so different from what they knew in 430 years of bondage in Egypt. God was desiring to meet his people in, the, in, in his context, not the context of their idol worship, idolatry that they had in pagan Egypt. An idol reflects the belief that a deity can be manipulated with right ritual. If I do this long enough, if I, if I do this many penance, if I give this much money, if I act this way this many times, repeat this prayer this many times, then God somehow is going to hear me. You know what? We say, well, that's ridiculous. Not in a Pentecostal church. Careful now because you know what? We still in Pentecostal churches get a little bit mixed up at times. We think if we fast enough and pray enough, God's supposed to heal us. I'm messing with somebody's theology now. Where in scripture does it say, if you do this well enough, I will heal you. If you don't do this well enough, I'm not going to heal you. And there's too many Pentecostal spirit-filled believers that are feeling horrible about themselves and their prayer lives because they think that, what am I doing wrong, that God didn't heal me, that God didn't set me free? Listen, sometimes God gives you something, and he has no intention of taking it away. And, and can we say, God, the, the good Lord gives, he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to worship him even if he does not answer my prayer exactly the way I want him to answer my prayer. That is greater worship than, hey, I fasted 37 days. You owe me healing now. He does not owe us anything. And so Israel's God was different. Everything was based on covenant, not ritual. God demanded obedience. It was relationship. Egyptian pagan gods, you do this that many times, you, you can cut yourself. And, and that's why you read about that. And, and, when, and when Egypt, or Elijah, when he says, you know what, let's, have a, let's go to the, the mountainside and let's have a battle and see if Baal's going to answer or let's see if the, the, the God of Israel is going to answer. Read the story. They start cutting themselves and stuff. You're going, what in the world? Why are they doing that? Because the pagan gods of ancient cultures would say you sacrifice your children children. You'd cut yourself. You'd do ritualistic things to get your God's attention. And Israel's God was totally different. He says, you ain't need to cut your, he, Abraham, he wanted to see if Abraham was faithful. But when Abraham laid Isaac on the altar, he said, get that child off the altar. I ain't taking your kid. This is about relationship here. I'm different than all of the other gods of ancient culture. What I want from you is a relationship where you align yourself in obedience to me and then watch what I do. 
And so he was calling for his people to surrender to him in trust. The details of this plan were slightly different than where we are today, but I want you to see that the underlying desire of God has always been the same. It is, I want to dwell with my people. I want to bridge the gap that sin has separated. I want to be with my people, to dwell among them, to love them, to speak with them, to hear them. Even though he's the creator and we're the creation, he has agreed to enter a mutually binding covenant relationship. And he reaches to us out of his mercy and grace. He still wants to dwell with us, but better yet today what we celebrate is he doesn't want to just dwell here. Hey, he wings, dwells between the wings and the cherubim in the New Testament. Now he dwells behind the door or in the screen or at the pulpit. Now he says, you know what? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied about it. I'm going to dwell between the wings of the cherubim. But one day, one day, I'm going to fill my, my people with my spirit. One day the tabernacle is not going to be a tent. It's going to be a human body. One day the law is not going to be written on tables of stone. It's going to be written on their hearts. Because I have a plan, and my plan is in pursuit of my people, and dwelling, uh, dwelling in a room in a tent is only a temporary thing. Because my plan is me going and going into my people, and my spirit actually dwelling inside of my people. And so you see, that's exactly what happened when Jesus died. He ascends, he rises from the dead, ascends into heaven. And he says, y'all wait here. He says, for the promise of the coming, don't leave Jerusalem. Everything that you've been hearing about, it's going to happen. Stay in Jerusalem. So they get themselves in an upper room and 120 people gather together. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God enters. And it says they, they all receive the gift of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. That's exactly what we're celebrating today. The first time that we read about the outpouring of the Spirit with the evidence and the sign of speaking in tongues happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And isn't that amazing that it says they're sat upon each of them cloven tongues like as fire. Go back to the tabernacle. How did they know when God's Spirit was in that tabernacle? There was a pillar of fire above the building. But there was just one pillar of fire because there was just one tabernacle and one Spirit. Now there's pillars of fire upon every single believer that's speaking in tongues because Jesus is now dwelling in his people. And so some of the bystanders, as you could imagine, some of you are guests here today, probably looking at people praying, worshiping, hearing them speak in tongues. You're like, heavens, I can't wait to get out of here if I get out of here alive. They might have been looking at some of these people the same way you were. And so they started looking around, and, and, and Peter just got done preaching a message about Jesus. And you look at Acts 2.37, they said to Peter, what do we do with what we just heard? Obviously, they felt something. They felt conviction. They felt the drawing, the presence of God Almighty. And Peter does not not get up and say, uh, we have to believe in a higher power. You know, we're each on a journey. It's just going to take some time. Peter lovingly, compassionately, but very clearly gets up and says, I'll tell you what to do. He says, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you're here today, this is not 
uh, I, I, no doubt that you're on a journey with God, that God has been drawing you. He's been preparing you for this day and this moment. But if you have never been baptized, the, the, literally the Greek word bapto means immerse, dip, plunge, put into processing liquid. If you have never been immersed in water and had the name, not the titles, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the name Jesus Christ called over your life, this is a great day to follow what Peter said and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. But then what would we celebrate on the day of Pentecost? He goes on from there and says, and you, what, shall receive the gift of of the Holy Ghost, which is what they initially started questioning in the first place. He's saying, we all got the Spirit. That's what this is. When you read, Peter says, this is that which was prophesied by the, by the prophet Joel. He wasn't just saying this was some new age thing that we just thought up. He made the connection that what they were seeing and hearing of people speaking in tongues, receiving the Spirit, Peter, not me, not the Pentecostal Church International, Peter made the connection that said, this, what you're questioning, what you're asking about, is that. He made the connection to the Old Testament prophecies that says, this is what we've been waiting for. Peter gave three distinct steps. Why? Because there's always a pattern. Anytime that's a, he, he, if, if somebody would have said, no, what's the pattern? He said, well, I'll give you the blueprint right here. Peter, what's the pattern? I'll give you the blueprint right here. Repent, be baptized in his name, filled with the Spirit. That's the pattern. It's no different today. It's still based on covenant. Just as the tabernacle had a first step in its entrance, there was a, go back to that, please, to that graphic. The first step was the altar of sacrifice. There had to be a dying out in the Old Testament. They had to come in with an animal. They had to come in with a sacrifice. And they had to kill that sacrifice. And they had to put that sacrifice on the altar. There had to be a dying out. Just like that, this plan right here points all the way to where we are in 2019, that we still have to come before his presence with a sacrifice. But the sacrifice ain't an animal anymore. The sacrifice, as Peter says, it is a living sacrifice. Our bodies are the sacrifice. But we're not killing them and putting them on an altar. We're putting them on an altar here. We're dying out to flesh. We're saying, God, forgive me. I repent of my sins. And then it goes on and you move to the next step after the dying out takes place after the sacrifice is brought they were a mess anybody relate to that you came to Jesus and you were a mess it was a bloody stinky nasty mess but when you come to Jesus and you say I'm done living the way that I've been living I want to repent of my sins I want to be different I want to be changed the next step according to Peter and the next step that the tabernacle points to is a place of washing and cleansing why? Because the sacrifice is there, but the next thing is the fact that I got to have all the remnants of the old life, of the previous step, washed away and be clean. And then you keep going and you go into the presence of the Lord where his spirit dwells and he wants to dwell inside of you. And so God desires to change every one of us from the inside out. 
Every one of us from the inside out. You look back at everything we've been looking at in this Exodus story. After we read everything about the Ark of the Covenant, God spends the next several chapters of Exodus. Chapters that oftentimes we just skim through, we just fly through because it's all the details. But anytime he wants to save someone, there's always details. And so he begins to spend time talking about, hey, here's the holy place, the table of showbread, the lamp, the altar of incense, the blazing labor, the altar of cleansing, the altar of sacrifice, the courtyard itself. And then you know what is interesting? He goes through this entire thing. And, and, and just, just pay attention with me here for a second. 1 Peter 2.9 says, we are now a royal priesthood. But when you read through Exodus... Oftentimes, we talk about it like this. Brazen labor, brazen, brazen altar, brazen labor, and then you move to there. Do you know when God in Exodus begins to line out all of the details of his plan? Do you know where he starts? He starts with what we just read. Make a tabernacle that I may dwell among my people. Do it according to the pattern that I've showed you. First thing he talks about is the Spirit of God. First thing he talks about is the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know what the second thing that he talks about is? The holy place, the altar of incense, the table of showbread. Do you know what the next thing he talks about? The brazen labor. Do you know the next thing he talks about? The altar of sacrifice. Do you know what the very next thing he talks about is? The clothing of the priesthood. Externals, outside stuff doesn't matter. It always seemed to matter to God. But notice where he starts. He doesn't start outside and work his way in. He starts in the innermost part of the tabernacle. He says, you know where we got to start? Everything starts and ends right here with the Spirit of God. And once you have the Spirit of God... Once you hear about my design for the temple, for the tabernacle, once you hear about the Spirit, now let's begin to work our way outward. Because he, as a God, says, I always want to start with the inside, and I want to begin to work my way out. You notice, he says the first thing to focus on is the Spirit of the Lord, the dwelling place of the Lord. But notice scripturally, it all mattered the dying out, the washing, the worship in the holy place, the spirit in the holiest of holies, the dress and appearance of the priesthood, it all matters. It all matters. But we must remember the order in which God gave the instruction. It all starts with the spirit of the Lord. It all starts with what we celebrate and remember here today, the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit. Because you know what? If I'm just trying, oh, I'm just trying to get my life right, to walk away from addiction, to dress different, to act different, to stop doing sinful things. I'm just trying to do all this. And you're trying to do those things without the Spirit. It's severely out of order. And that's when people start to say, Oh, I just, the, the religious, and all the rules, and I can't believe you push because something gets out of order. It needs to start with the most inner 
utmost part of our being. And it needs to work its way out from there. It starts with the heart. And I'm almost done. This is what the prophet Ezekiel later prophesied. Ezekiel 36, 26. After the law of Moses, before the outpouring of the Spirit in the book of Acts, Ezekiel prophesies. And he says, you know, here's what the Lord says. I'm going to give you a new heart. Why? Because before we talk about any other thing, he's talking, he's prophesying about a a spirit of the Lord that was going to fill the tabernacle, fill the new temple, which is going to be our bodies, our hearts. And so he says, hey, let me follow the MO. A God, it it never changed. He always has a pattern. He always has covenant. And guess what God always starts with? Just like he started with the most innermost part of the tabernacle, he wants to start with the innermost part of your life here in 2019. He wants to give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And he says, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow. Follow what? Everything that the law was designed to do in the first place. You don't need the law written on tablets anymore. What's going to happen is I'm going to start from the most inner part of your life. I'm going to put my spirit in you, give you a new heart. And then that new heart, that spirit, my spirit, is going to be what leads you into right things. You see, the things were established way back in the Old Testament. It paved the way for the things in the New Testament. Just like they had law back then on tables of stone, the Lord still has covenantal principles, but he says, I'm going to write them on your heart. And just like his plan was laid out back then, he begins with his spirit and he works his way to our outside. The Lord works from the inside out side. And so this morning, God still wants to work from the inside to the outside. If you're trying to just be faithful, be a good person, if you're just trying to find a church, worship God, just do that that's awesome. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm so grateful that you feel that way. I think I, I compliment you on that. But God never, through the history of humankind, intended for his people to do it by themselves. Since the very beginning of time, he told Adam and Eve, I want to walk with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have you in my presence and me in yours. That is what he has always desired. And so today, God does not want you to try and figure this out alone. He wants to walk with you. He, and he doesn't just want to walk with you like he did in the Old Testament. Now he says, I want to make, be in you. I want to make you. You, your body, your heart, my dwelling place. And that is what the day of Pentecost celebrates. That is what we remember. That is what this church preaches and teaches because it's in the Bible. The Old Testament paved the way and pointed to every Old Testament prophet pointed to this. With stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak to my people. Uh, that, that, that he's going to pour out a spirit upon all flesh. That they're going to prophesy and dream dreams and have visions. That everything that he has, it, it, it happened in the book of Acts chapter 2, then Acts chapter, and then end of Acts chapter 2. Then you read Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. He continues to just pour out his spirit upon all flesh with the evidence and the sign of speaking in other tongues. And that was so that they knew his spirit is now within me.
He has now taken up residence in my heart. And so don't get caught up in the trap of trying to fix your outside first, trying to handle your external situations. Don't get messed up trying to take care of issues before you come to God. I hear people all the time, I just got to get some things right before I come to God. Listen, you don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. I mean, like, so as you stand to your feet today, God sees that our hearts have gotten broken in sin. Sin is a heart issue. Sin is not an external issue. Well, she made me do it. He made me do it. Well, I was at my work, and I saw this on TV, and I saw this, and I did this. And people want to blame all these external issues, including the devil made me do it, okay? Sin is not an external issue. Sin is an internal issue. It is a heart issue. So the only way to truly take care of sin is to deal with the heart of the matter, and that's your heart. And so Jesus, he, he speaks, and God prophesies in the Old Testament, hey, in that day, I'm going to put my spirit inside people, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to deal with the heart issue. I'm going to give a new heart. I'm going to give a new spirit. I'm going to put my spirit inside of them, and I'm going to change and replace some things that need replacing. Why? That's why the Bible says what defiles us comes from within. That's why Jesus spends so much time in the Gospels talking about focusing on what's in the heart. This was all, everything that Jesus was teaching and preaching and speaking. It was preparation. Preparation. For us receiving his spirit. It was preparation. To get us ready for what he knew was coming after he ascended into heaven. He had a plan. That's why every time he says, I got to go, the comforter's going to come to you. The comforter's the Holy Ghost. Don't worry, guys. I know you gave up everything, but I'm not, I, the sparrow's not going to fall to the ground without me seeing it. I know where you're at. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Andrew, Philip, you guys relax. I got something coming. I'm going to come. The comforter's going to come. Well, what's the comforter? The comforter's the Holy Ghost. It's coming. He had a plan. He always had a plan. From Genesis, when God created the world, he looked forward and saw a spirit-filled church. And if you're here today and you've never received the spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, you are in Pentecostal church on Pentecost Sunday, and you can approach this altar in just a moment, and you can have a biblical experience. Well, where does that start? It starts with repentance, and it starts with faith. Well, I just don't know. This is scary. It's in the Bible. If we can sit, we can start a Bible study and go deeper if you want. But right now, there is something here. The presence and power of God is here, and he's doing the same thing he did from the book of Genesis on. He's saying, I want a relationship. I want a relationship. God's not interested in playing church. He is ready to change your life, to take residence in your heart, to fill your you with his spirit from the inside out. He'll get to the rest later. All the other things, he'll get to all that later. But for now, he wants to start with the source of sin. He wants to go to the heart. He wants to begin with the most innermost part. And he says, hey, if we'll just start with the spirit of the Lord, we'll begin to work outward and we'll deal with everything else later. But right now, right now, 
I've given you a pattern. The pattern is repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And then I will put my spirit inside of you. And instead of dwelling between the wings of the cherubims in a a tent or a tabernacle, you now become where I dwell. You now become the dwelling place of God Almighty so that I can fulfill what I've always wanted to fulfill. And that is to always be with my people and commune with them and dwell in them. Right now, I just invite you to begin to come to the front and just to find a place to pray that God, He wants to do something today. God is in pursuit of your life. He's in pursuit of your heart. God wants something from you. He wants your heart. He wants to take residence in you. God desires a relationship with you. Oh, go ahead and see me today if you want to be baptized. If you want to repent of your sins, go to that brazen labor like the Old Testament pointed to. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, oh God.